you're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome back to This Osteopathic Life in another episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I am joined by Dr. Funke Afalabi-Brown. She is a board-certified pediatric pulmonologist and sleep medicine physician located in Pennsylvania, and she is the founder of Restful Sleep MD. Today, she's going to talk to us about how sleep impacts our health, and I'm ready. I'm buckled up. I'm all in for this conversation. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. So please tell us your story, getting into medicine. How did that begin for you? Yeah, I I was... I wasn't necessarily one of those people that knew they were going to be, you know, a physician right from when they were little. I, I kind of mm-hmm. watched it and I thought it was pretty interesting. I, I was very sick when I was um, when I was growing up mm-hmm. and I had this um, I had a we had a family physician who was also my parents friends. And I think he definitely made a significant impact in my life just moving forward, because, of course, my parents were scared, you know. And will take me there. And, you know, he wasn't just trying to treat me. He was, mm. you know, talking them through and kind of talking them off the ledge and telling them I would be okay. And so, you know, that compassion definitely struck a chord with me. And, um, you know, when I went into, you know, and then, you know, from there, actually, I'm one of four. And all my other siblings decided they were going to be engineers. And my dad asked, mm-hmm. like, you want to be a doctor? I'm like, sure. <laughs> Try something different, yeah. Exactly. So, but but that piece also though that that compassion, you know, and 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 need to help or wanting to help people just kind of really connected with me. Um, and so, yeah. And did you find that that selection into pediatrics also came from your own experience of being sick as a kid? Yes, it did actually. It did. Um, being sick as a kid and just the families, right? Because when you're treating a a, a a child, you're treating the entire family. You know, we have the worried well, right? When moms come in, they are beside themselves, but it turns out the child is okay. So those were things that I found really that connected so well with me. And so that was part of what drove me into pediatrics. And also seeing those these kids are resilient. Mm-hmm. Right. I went to medical school in Nigeria and you would see a child who has, you know, an hemoglobin in, you know, like five and mm-hmm. at, the, at death's door and you give them just a little bit of blood and then they just open up and you're like, what? You know, so <laughs> that is just so fulfilling mm-hmm. um, for me, seeing how you could just transform, you know, a situation that seems almost hopeless to just, you know, complete, you know, 180. So that's that definitely resonated with me and, and prompted me to go into pediatrics. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love what you brought up about the importance of treating and holding space for the whole family and how you noticed that you know, in your own experience of this pediatrician who's also a friend. 
tell me more about that. How do you navigate that dynamic of knowing the kid is your patient, but also right, the family is really part of that health unit, if you will? Absolutely. You know, my personality or something that I find that is a strength of mine is I am a cheerleader and an encourager of people and I see the best in people and I want to help them achieve their best. So um, it came very naturally for me when talking to families um, because I see them scared. I see them second guessing themselves or their parenting or the decisions they're making. So then I'm there to empower them and to walk them on that journey. So I, I think that's just really been, that's been what I've done. Um, and also really encouraging them to advocate for their children, you know, especially for people who are intimidated by the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, go out of my way to say, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And families just love that. They leave feeling like they're part of that decision-making process. And so that's yeah. that's something I try to do like all the time. And I've made it a part of my practice and even in and out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's so important to feel like you're part of the decision-making and medicine has shifted. There's so much information and there's so much that's publicly available. So to be able to bring them into that is such a powerful way to be. I'm curious how you stepped into your specialty. So we have general pediatrics, right? And caring for that kind of whole picture from you know birth until adulthood. Sometimes beyond, we learn sometimes that pediatricians have, you know, 20 something year old patients yeah. in their practice. How did you decide or how were you called into specializing from that space? So I had, again, uh, after I did my residency, my pediatric residency, I, I love preventive care, but the vaccines and staying mm-hmm. on top of the immunization mm-hmm. schedule uh, mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily my, my zone mm-hmm. of genius. So I knew I really wanted to specialize, but it was mentorship. Mm-hmm. It was mentorship. So I had one of my attendants who was a brilliant pediatric pulmonologist. It was just, uh, you know, he just helped me fall in love with pulmonary physiology and children who couldn't breathe and how to get them breathe and why and how the ventilator in the ICU interacts with the patients. And and it was just incredible. Mm -hmm. So I I decided I was going to be a pediatric pulmonologist. And so, you know, following that training, I actually had a two unique situations that then prompted me to pursue sleep medicine, which is where I'm now kind of camped. (laughs) And one was, I had a, I had a patient who has a very rare condition called um, CCHS, congenital central hypoventilation syndrome. People call it Undine's curse. It's Mm -hmm. not a curse. There's a genetic mutation, all that good stuff. But I just remember being so fascinated when he was in the NICU, he, he had to be brought to the NICU, extremely healthy, beautiful boy who just would stop breathing as soon as he hmm. he wasn't crying. So if he wasn't crying, he wasn't breathing, mm-hmm. you know, and so he needed to be intubated. And these children just have no respiratory drive when they're asleep. But the problem is as a newborn, you're asleep all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So they need to have a tracheostomy, a hole put in their neck through which uh, they can be attached to a ventilator to breathe. So for me, that was incredibly just captivating. And then for the family, again, it was like this, Parents are living, you know, just on the edge constantly. Like, is he going to wake up? Is he not? You know, so that really connected with me about like, okay, it seems like the sleep is not just, okay, you go to sleep and wake up. It seems there's a whole lot more. Um, And then, you know, there was also just the disparities I saw in children with sickle cell disease. So Mm -hmm. sickle cell 
also has um, lung manifestations where these children can get admitted for different lung diseases, for sleep apnea, or what you call nocturnal hypoxemia, which is their oxygen levels just don't come up mm-hmm. um, at night. And so they need to be on oxygen or CPAP or things like that. And there's really not much research in that realm. So I really wanted to study that more. So those two things, and also I'd struggled with sleep in my own past, <laughs> prompted <laughs> me to do a sleep medicine um, mm-hmm. fellowship. And so that's how I then, that then opened. So I went in thinking I'm going to help children breathe mm-hmm. better and sleep better. Yeah. And then I'm like, wow, there's so much more to just the breathing aspect of sleep. There's the science mm-hmm. behind sleep deprivation and how it is, how important it is for us to prioritize, prioritize sleep and how that impacts our function, our lives, our future. And so that was it for me. I'm like, okay, I found it. This is where I belong. Yeah, yeah I love that. As I'm listening to you and just thinking about the hours in the day where we spend awake and asleep and how much we do neglect that sleep time, which is a pretty significant, or hopefully should be, right, portion of our time. So talk yeah. to us about that. So what what is happening when we sleep, other than, like you said, just passing from one day to the next, right? Yeah. What is happening yeah. in that time that is impacting our health? Yeah, absolutely. You bring up a good point. We, when we do it right, sleep a third of our lives, mm-hmm. a third of our lives. And imagine that. It turns out that if we prioritize and do that third well, the second, the other two thoughts will, will flourish. Mm. And so I think the problem is we keep trying to cheat on that last one third. Yeah, <laughs> yeah guilty but, as charged. I told her, I was like, I'm ready for this episode. <laughs> grace, grace, yes. grace. Now you're going to yeah. know, you're going to know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, a lot of things I say is one of the th- them is sleep is just not a cure for sleepiness. I think that's one mm-hmm. misconception. So most of the time we are like going, 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 going. And then we drop because we're exhausted and can't move forward. And then mm-hmm. we get up and keep going. Beyond that, that sleep helps. It does help take that mm-hmm. edge off. It helps fix the sleepiness at that moment. But there's a whole lot more that's going on when you sleep. Mm-hmm. So even when you start from the brain, right, um, there is a system in place that helps to cleanse and clean off um, toxic products from the surfaces of our brain. So it turns out that when we're awake and we wake up in the morning, you sort of start to build those sort of almost like waste products, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on the surface of your brain over the course of the day. And there's a system in your brain similar to the lymphatic system in your body that's called the glymphatic system, which helps cleanse all those products. And so just like you wouldn't leave your kitchen stacked with dirty plates, eventually mm-hmm. you'll wash. <laughs> that washing has to happen. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't happen, it costs, it's been shown now to cause deleterious effects like dementia and Alzheimer's because there's mm-hmm. that pro- some of those products um, include things like beta amyloid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that can deposit and cause a lot of harm. So just that cleansing function is happening during sleep. So when people say, I can't shut my mind off during sleep, mm-hmm. I can't shut off my brain. Technically, you're not supposed to shut off your brain. <laughs> your brain is working. Just doing some other jobs during that Exactly, time. exactly. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so that in and of itself, I think it's just such a remarkable system that we can't really deprive ourselves of. Um, mm-hmm. Other things like our mood, um, memory consolidation, of course, during sleep. Mm-hmm. We go through different stages of sleep. You go through your light sleep, your deep sleep, which is really that like slow wave sleep um, where a lot of tissue repair, restoration for children, growth hormone release, different hormones are released during that time. 
And then your last um, sleep is the REM sleep, which is really helpful with like memory consolidation and mood regulation and creativity. So mm. all that is happening during sleep. So you don't want to cheat yourself of slow wave sleep. You don't want to cheat yourself of slight sleep. You don't want to cheat yourself of REM sleep because they all have different functions. Mm-hmm. And so it helps with mood. It helps with memory. It helps with executive decision-making. Most of us are making critical decisions all day long. Sleep helps. Yeah. Um, it helps with um, tissue repair, like I talked about. It helps boost your immune system because mm-hmm. um, it turns out there are studies that have shown that if you don't sleep well, the likelihood that you can catch colds or other viruses is much higher. And actually, there's some studies now that are showing a link with chronic sleep deprivation and certain types of cancers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about our entire immune regulation is occurring during sleep. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then, our, you know, our physical health, our metabolism. Um, so there are certain hormones, again, like um, the two um, nutrition type hormones. So the ghrelin and leptin. Mm-hmm. Um, the leptin is sort of that satiety hormone that helps you feel full. Um, the ghrelin is sort of kind of your hunger hormone that's mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. makes you want to eat, which is why when you don't sleep at night and when you're mm-hmm. sleep deprived, you tend to be kind of hungry and you usually will not go grab a celery stick in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's going right. to be that chocolate cake or something. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine if you're doing that and your metabolism is off, then there's increased risk of like um, diabetes or um, obesity. Um, and then the the downstream effect of that hypertension, mm-hmm. heart disease, and things like that. So I say that sleep helps us to be happy, mm-hmm. to be healthy, and to be more successful, even much more than we are already. I love that. I love that. And I appreciate that you brought it through with grace because you can hear all those things and think, I'm not sleeping well. Look at all the things I'm ruining for myself. But also look at the opportunity, right? Yeah. By restoring sleep and stepping into sleep more purposefully, look at all the things I can offer my body and to my mind and to my spirit. I love that you brought all of those in, in that way. So can you talk us through, since you have the pediatric background, it sounds like through sleep medicine, you get a sense of how this impacts at all stages of life, you know, looking toward dementia and the after effects of poor sleep. Are there certain sweet spots? Everybody wants to know, right? What's the exact number of hours I need to get? And does it change? Like you mentioned, the newborn is sleeping 90% of the time. So is there a way to gauge how much sleep we might need? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, the way it is, the National Sleep Foundation has, um, you know, recommendations by age that Mm -hmm. shows you how much sleep with every stage of life. So in newborns, we're saying, we're talking anywhere from 14 to 17 hours. That's a Mm -hmm. lot. And the reason why sleep is very critical for our growth, our learning and development, and that's a rapid, right? Their brain is undergoing such rapid change. They need that much sleep. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so that's even in the newborn. And then, you know, like in preschoolers, you're, say, you're talking anywhere from like 11 to 13 hours. And school-age mm-hmm. children usually will say about 9 to 11. Um, teenagers usually about 8 to 10 hours. And then in adults, up to age 65, um, 7 to 9 hours of sleep. For those that are 65 and older, usually about 7 to 8 hours is fine. Mm-hmm. So that's usually the, 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 those are the recommendations. You can see it's a wide range. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more importantly than pursuing an absolute number, of course, you want to make sure you're, you're, you're somewhere in between. It's finding out how do you feel? How does that, how does, how do you feel when you wake up? 
are you waking up to the alarm clock? So even though you set seven, uh, seven hours of sleep, mm-hmm. so you went to bed and you're like, okay, I'm getting seven hours. But if you're like hitting snooze like three times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never happened. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you, need, you, need, you probably need extra. Or, mm-hmm. or if you're waking up and you're still foggy or you're like, you know, in the middle of the day and you're finding yourself dozing off or you're needing a lot of caffeine. Caffeine is, is helpful, but if you're needing it more to stay awake, then you probably need more sleep. So I think that's a way to gauge. Sometimes a way I tell people also to try is to go, you know, if you can take maybe in the summer, right? When, if you have no obligations, whatever, mm-hmm. and see, just go to bed naturally at your, your bedtime and wake up without the alarm clock. And that will help you gauge how much sleep over two weeks. Because initially, especially if you've been sleep deprived before going into mm-hmm. that activity, yeah. <laughs> you'll probably sleep a lot initially. Mm-hmm. But that's why I usually would say about two weeks and see mm-hmm. how much sleep you need. That will really help you know, okay, I probably need about eight hours or I'm okay with seven and a half hours. And, mm-hmm. and, and usually that number doesn't change much, mm-hmm. um, especially as adults. So that's, yeah. that's the idea. Yeah, I love that. And what comes up for me are two things, two questions. One is, is there merit in napping, right? You mentioned kind of daytime sleeping is queuing into more rest. And I think a lot of different cultures integrate that right into the natural flow of the day. So is there a benefit to that? And not necessarily, we're not going to compensate, right? And not sleep appropriately at night for that. And the other is that kind of sleep deprivation and sleep debt. I know there are two very different questions, but I think two common ones that would be helpful to address for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So napping is an is great, you know, and we actually have, there's a system in place by which we sleep, which is supposed to be sort of polyphasic. So essentially before all this modernization, your sleep is supposed to be almost in two, in two parts. So you have the long sleep period, you have sometime in the middle of the day, and then you have the rest of the day. Um, and you'll see that in a lot of, in some European countries, they actually have that siesta. Um, Mm -hmm. And essentially what is going on is that we have our body's circadian rhythm. And so that's that internal clock that really helps you know when you should be awake and when you should be asleep, but also um, controls a lot of other body functions, your appetite, when you're hungry, when you use the bathroom, blood pressure changes, all kinds of things. Um, Sometime in the middle of the day, around lunchtime, we have what you call a circadian nadir meaning that your level of alertness really dips, usually mm-hmm. occurs sometime, like again, around lunchtime. So people call mm-hmm. it, oh, it's, it's because I ate a, a huge meal. Even if, you, even if you didn't eat a huge meal, you'll notice you start to feel that drowsiness around then, and we kind of try to push through. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take a nap, you can, you, can up, you can be very strategic about taking a nap. Mm-hmm. There's really nothing wrong with taking a nap. You just mm-hmm. don't want, it's the timing of the nap. You don't want to take a nap that's too close to bedtime mm-hmm. and you don't want to take a nap that's too long. Yeah. So usually I'll say if you're going to take a nap, you want to limit it between like 15 to 30 minutes mm-hmm. because if you take a super long three hour nap, I'm sure you've experienced it before. You're like, mm-hmm. I feel even yeah. worse. What day is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called because yeah. you've gone into super deep stages of sleep. Mm-hmm. And so now you have what you call sleep inertia. And that's mm-hmm. not the plan. The plan to get a nap, the plan for a nap is more just to get that refreshing, that little boost you need. Mm-hmm. So the other piece is you don't want to take a nap that's too late in the day. And the mm-hmm. reason why is I know I had mentioned the circadian rhythm, which kind of oscillates through the day, it doesn't change, usually about 24 hours. So kind of lines up with our day-night cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece that helps you with sleep is um, what you call the your homeostatic drive or your sleep pressure. 
Mm-hmm. And I and I usually say, think of it like a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. You kind of build pressure. You wake up and you start to build pressure over the course of the day. Yeah. It doesn't change. It just keeps going up until you sleep. And then you kind of, it's like you're releasing that pressure cooker. You're releasing mm-hmm. that button, right? You're you're releasing that bend. I have a app Instapot. So think of exactly, it like that. Exactly, yeah. I'm with you there. <laughs> exactly. And so if you take a nap, you're going to, it's almost like a debt, right? You're, you're, you're going to pay off some of that debt, which is okay if you take the nap earlier in the day. If you take it too close to the night when it's time for bed, you're not going to have built enough pressure to feel, to feel sleepy. And so that's where you want to try to avoid taking naps too late in the day. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have insomnia, which is difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep or early morning awakening, you want to try to avoid naps if possible. But if you don't have insomnia and you're just someone who's just trying to make use of a nap from here to here, absolutely. That's part of my self-care on the weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you mentioned they're paying back the debt. So is it possible, right, if we have built up and we're talking here right, as a position in this space, knowing we have put ourselves through times of sleep debt, you know, intentionally, can mm-hmm. we pay it back, right? Can we overcome and reverse some of those perhaps negative health impacts? I know. So sleep, unfortunately, is not like a bank. Mm-hmm. So you can't like, oh, and then pay back completely, mm-hmm. never. Mm-hmm. And so I think what happens, what I see a lot, of, a lot of times what we end up doing is we shortchange ourselves during the week and say, okay, you know what? On the weekend, I'm just going to be in bed like, and try to pay it all off. No matter how much you try to get all that sleep in, remember again, it's those two processes. So when you've gotten that sleep pressure mm-hmm. off in that sense, your circadian rhythm is in place and it's just not, you're just not going to be able to sleep at certain points. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that sometimes when you're on call, right? You mm-hmm. have moments where you feel like, if I don't sleep right now, I'm going to die. And then you're like, and then it passes. <laughs> right. And then you can stay awake for another day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so if our approach to, in terms of taking back our sleep health and, and, and really getting on the sleep journey and doing it right, I would say go with the intention of getting the right number of hours of sleep at night mm-hmm. and try not to shift too much from that, even on the weekends, um, because uh, that payment cannot be full. And there's been studies that have been done showing that, like, you eventually le- reach a point where you're done and you can't go beyond that. Mm-hmm. I think about like compounding interest, right? So invest early, <laughs> invest often, invest consistently, you know, and, yes. and pay the dividends that way. Yeah, I love that. That's true. What comes up for me, and you mentioned a couple times, right, insomnia, and certainly checking out to find out are there underlying physiologic reasons, right, pathologic reasons for my challenges sleeping, and if those have been ruled out. A lot of times I work with my patients and with my clients, and there's a lot of self-talk and even shaming. There's either the badge of honor, you know, and I have worn that one, right? I don't need much sleep, right? I can get away with this. And we honor one another, right, for needing less sleep. And there's also that sense of, you know, I wish I could sleep better. And there's a lot of self-shaming, like, oh, I should just be able to go to sleep if we're in that space of not being able to fall asleep. So how do you work with people when there is a lot of self-judgment, right, either in a positive or negative way around volume of sleep? Yeah, absolutely. And and. I see this a lot with people who have insomnia mm-hmm. um, and, you know, you start to get into this almost like negative self-talk. They start mm-hmm. to dread the bedtime. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, we're back here again where we're going to worry. I can't sleep. What's going to happen tomorrow? It's going to be horrible. Um, you know, that and that and that. Um, now, the gold standard for treatment of 
uh, insomnia is what you call cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Mm-hmm. And those are the three things. Um, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. And mm-hmm. so really the first thing that needs to be addressed is the, are those thoughts, those pervasive thoughts. As much as sleep is so critical to our health and as much as it's a pillar of health, I think it's helping people to understand that the first place you have to start with is that mindset shift. So even mm-hmm. if you've not been doing it right, you can start. And even if you, just like any cha- anything that you encounter, even if you, you had a bad night, you, it, it may be a bit tough or it may not be optimal, but you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And some of the things we try to do is just kind of do some restructuring in, in their thought processes. I'm going to have the worst day ever. See, I made a mistake. It was because I couldn't sleep, you know, and all that. And we know that not sleeping has its detrimental consequences, but we don't want that to be what cripples people because then it becomes this vicious cycle mm-hmm. um, and this prophecy, right? So self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that is having conversations around, okay, what's the worst that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I'm a little cranky. Maybe I'm this, mm-hmm. maybe I'm that, right? But the world is not going to end because mm-hmm. I didn't get that enough hours of sleep and I'm going to tr- do better next time. I'm going to prioritize it. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece is the behavioral piece. So it's not just, oh, change your mindset and then all that just works. There are mm-hmm. things you have to do. Um, and so are there like habits that need to be changed around bedtime? Are we on our phone because we're frustrated and like, oh gosh, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just going to scroll on and see what's going on on IG, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, and those, so there's some behaviors. Are we drinking caffeine? You know, are we mm-hmm. staying in bed and frustrated and it's now become a place of worry instead mm-hmm. of it being a place of rest and restoration? We need to change those connections. So mm-hmm. those are some of the, the behavioral pieces that come to it. Um, usually this is, should be done by a licensed professional, so either by a mm-hmm. psychologist or someone mm-hmm. who is, you know, um, certified to, to do um, CBTI. But yeah. that's, a, that's definitely a strategy that helps. Yeah, and I think that's so helpful because we can think that there aren't solutions and they can be work, right? But there are things mm-hmm. that can be done to address that. And as you're stepping into restful sleep, can you tell us more about what that looks like and how you're working with people maybe in a new way outside yeah. of your clinical practice? Yeah, absolutely. So what I do is I help uh, pro- busy professionals, especially busy moms and their children <laughs> prioritize sleep um, as a critical aspect of their wellness, of their health, so they can reach their fullest potential. Because I believe that no matter how well we're doing right now, if we prioritize sleep, we can even do better. We can show up better. The fogginess and, you know, the the fatigue um, we can deal with. And that would really help us perform better, our children and ourselves. And mm-hmm. so a lot of what I do is provide practical, um, evidence-based strategies to help families prioritize sleep, both in their children and themselves. And um, I have, I do have a sleep course that will be coming soon, um, focused on sleeping teenagers. I'm really looking forward to it. And the reason why is there's a lot of information out there about, you know, sleeping in children and sleep coaching and training, which is incredible. But sleep troubles last the entire lifespan. And somehow Mm -hmm. we just say, okay, I'm going to, this teenager of mine, I'm just going to wait. When you're 19, we can regroup. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, but (laughs) I think it's time to really start to empower them 
to mm-hmm. take this on um, by themselves. So it's not this constant struggle trying to get the phone out of the rooms and trying to get them off yeah. their devices and trying to get them to prioritize things. So that's um, coming up soon. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also, I also provide, um, you know, I also speak in like workshops, conduct workshops and courses um, really to help people understand the importance of sleep and how to achieve restful sleep. So those are some of the some of the ways I serve. That's amazing, and thank you for serving that population. As we shared, I'm here in my 14 year old's room, and thankfully he's tuned into it and seems to do well with knowing how much sleep he needs. But I just think about the rapidity of growth then, right? Mm-hmm. Easy to see in the newborn, but it's happening on that cognitive level, especially in teenagers. So what a gift to bring that! And thank you for speaking about it. You bring so many amazing ways to reconcile with and relate to the importance of sleep. In a non-intimidating way, which I appreciate very much. <laughs> and I'm encouraged to learn that you're bringing this to a wider audience. Well, I think we could have more conversations about this and the different ways it can be valuable. And I'd like to hear from you now as we have moved through this discussion and as you step into Restful Sleep MD, how you see yourself for the health of all things. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I see I think we all bring different gifts into this world. We all have different roles to play and different strengths. And so what I have and the way I see this is I have the knowledge and the science and the experience um, from walking through this. And I feel like this is my way of serving. This is my way of helping others. And, you know, I think one of one of the things that's really important is that legacy, right? What do I want to be remembered for? And what do I want to leave behind? I want to, I want it to be known that I help people sleep better. Mm-hmm. It seems pretty simple, but then knowing how sleep deprived the society we are, and it's only getting worse in this 24-7 um, society, right? Mm-hmm. Globalization. I'm seeing just how critical it is to prioritize sleep. And that's how I see myself really making that impact. I love that. And it's really sitting with me too. You know, sleep is not just the cure for sleepiness, right? It's so much more. And honoring that one third of our life to make the other two thirds better. And not just as a bare minimum, but really as a be more successful and flourish. What a gift that is. Well, where can people find you if they're interested as your courses launch and if they want to contact you for speaking, how can they yeah. get in touch with you? Absolutely. So on my website, it's restfulsleepmd.com. And so right there, actually, I have, if you sign up for my newsletter, first of all, you'll be the first to know once the Mm -hmm. course is ready. And I do also have weekly YouTube videos that I put out on different sleep topics. So when that really shows up, you'll be the first to know. And also there's a, a free cheat sheet on creative ways to get restful sleep. So mm-hmm. I created a, a, an acronym, CREATE, which mm-hmm. is really, it's evidence-based because if you Google sleep hygiene, you'll see like 12 tips, 12 things mm-hmm. you need to do, which is overwhelming because you're like, oh my God, what's important? What's not? What can I, mm-hmm. what can I start with? So with this, I feel like it's, some, it's a good place to start to really mm-hmm. build on improving your sleep. And so that would be something that you'll get straight into your inbox if you sign up for my newsletter. And if you do want to contact me for speaking, um, mm-hmm. definitely you can also fill out the form there. And I'm also on Instagram as Restful Sleep MD and on my Facebook page too, Restful Sleep MD. 
Fantastic. And we'll put all those links in the show notes and you had me at acronym. So I'm, I'm in, let's bring create forward and <laughs> find those steps through. Well, thank you for bringing grace and science together in this space and encouraging us all to be more mindful and get that sleep that we need. Thanks for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.